The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So uh, my, my topic for today is uh, spiritual friendship. And I have to say I am brimming, overflowing with uh, emotion as I kind of contemplate joy and just move. My heart is so moved. And just now, like just this, these offerings that have just been announced and are being offered are by, you know, this is the sangha. This is spiritual friendship. This is amazing, you know. Um, I think uh, I, ho- I hope you all know how welcome you are here. That you, you know, that each of you belong here if you want to be here. That you get to be fully who you are and be here. And uh, Gil, I love Gil uh, as a teacher, and one of his teachings is, um, you know, you're a member of IMC if you want to be. If you don't like membership, no problem. You can still come. Like, whatever it is that works for you, that's how spacious it is. And I guess I'll... um, Can you zoom in on this for the um, YouTube folks? I'll pass this around, but maybe you've noticed this. So when you come in the door, there's a very transparent um, logo on the front door, and this is also posted by the door. It's still in draft form, but um, it says, All are welcome here. All are welcome here. And there was a group of us that worked on, you know, collaborating to create the sign. And um, wow, was it wow, was it a project? I to think about how do you represent everyone being welcomed? And I, I'm not suggesting we did it, <laughs> you know, really not. But uh, it was the best that we could do. So it was good enough for now. And I love it. It's beautiful. Okay, I'm gonna move my arm now (laughs) and just kind of um you know just to talk about what this includes is um you know three hands right three hands of different races colors ethnicities together holding a young tree a bodhi tree which is what the buddha is said to have enlightened under you know that it takes us all coming together and that it's it's our heartfulness, it's our kindfulness, it's our mindfulness that create the soil and conditions for all of us to thrive. All of us to thrive. And then, of course, we have a rainbow here for, you know, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, asexual, non-conforming, gender, non-binary, everything, two-spirited plus people in our world. And when we were working on this, we like tried to list all the kinds of identities that we could think of. How can we represent this? And we tried. You should have seen the other models. They were a little too much. <laughs> this, this, this kind of was, like I said, the best that we could do. So I'll just pass it around, and um, you can look at it or not. Just you know, allow it to flow. I just want you all the opportunity to see it. Yeah, and um, so I was, you know, as I was kind of growing, nurturing, like you know, yeast inside of me, this talk and my reflections on spiritual friendship. I was thinking about a, a name for it, a title for it, and um, 
first I thought, well, mindfulness is spiritual friendship. And then I thought about um, heartfulness is spiritual friendship. And then I remembered um, Ajahn Brahm wrote a book called Kindfulness. And that just, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, so mindfulness and heartfulness. And there's this term in Pali, chitta, which represents heart and mind together. Heart and mind together. Because friendship, really, especially spiritual friendship, does require the heart and mind to come together. Because to be kind, we have to be, um, we have to engage the mental capacity to assess a situation, to implore and, and work from wise view, wise intention, and have wise action. We need the mind to be engaged. And that without a quality of the heart, this, the kind, sort of the quality of this, you know, the Brahma-viharas, loving kindness, compassion, mudita, joy, and equanimity balance. We, we absolutely need all of these things. And so this term kindfulness for me really was where I, I settled. Kindfulness is spiritual practice. Kindfulness. And the, you know, you know, spiritual friendship is what this sangha is made from. Completely, what the song is made from. It's amazing, actually. So, everything here started in a. I think it was at the. Um, uh, what's it called? Hillary, what was the name of the. The friend? I was, yeah, what was it called? But it was called the friend. What? Do you remember what it was called? There was like a um, a small center that let us um, come and practice. Like I wasn't even part of the sangha. It was like maybe six or nine people or ten or twelve or whatever. And then they brought Gil in to be a teacher. And they um, just rented spaces until this sangha grew and they um, raised money to buy this building. This building was a church. And that's probably how we got it, because the church you know, owners and Gil met, and they appreciated what we were going to be doing here, sitting in silence, right? So everything here is because of Donna, generosity, and people coming together and working together. And the image I have for Sangha in this, <laughs> in this place is like a spider web. There are so many people doing little bits to keep and create the space. Unbelievable number of people. And so who here volunteers in some way? Just raise your hand. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like eight, nine, ten. I don't know. This is like, you know, a quarter of us sitting here. At least... And right now there's 150 people in person and online sitting Gill's three-week retreat, which means a lot of people who would normally be here who are volunteers are not here. So probably half of us would be normally volunteers. Hillary, does that sound about right? As our amazing volunteer coordinator, Hillary. And so the, the spiderweb image for me is so powerful because 
It's like every every little intersection of the web is people holding hands, taking one piece from the next person. Like getting a flyer printed takes a person to teach a per, you know, and that person usually creates a draft and then somebody else prints it and you know, like there's just everything here is hand to hand. And there, I was thinking of organizational charts. And you know how they're like kind of fairly linear, you know, they have like little veins that come off and there's this stacking. We're we are a spider web. <laughs> Our organizational chart is an absolute spider web. And there's often things that, you know, people leave and come and go. So just like a spider web is imperfect, we are imperfect. We are absolutely imperfect. And there are places where things fall apart and don't go well and 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 then there's people that come in and connect this strand with that strand like this, you know, or their toes with their feet too, you know, it's amazing. And and then another thing about this spider web is that it's loving kindness. It's the it's the kindness and the compassion and the joy and the equanimity that the practitioners, these people holding hands, creating this space that is, you know, tenuous and strong, but bringing that heart quality lights up the web like golden strands. Absolutely the heart quality just moves through the whole thing and makes it absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So thank you for being here because also just being here, even if you're not a volunteer, you're supporting my practice. Because if I didn't have somebody to that I was inspired to share this with, all of this goodness that's been coming up for me would not be here. It would not be arising in the same kind of way. It's your practice, your attending, your coming that supports my practice deeply, deeply. So... I'll give you a little bit of a... There's no. I have no idea how much I'll get to, but these are the things that I have in mind. I like to let you know where I want to go before I go there. So number one, how powerful spiritual friendship is for our practice, how supportive it is. It's incredibly supportive. I've been talking about that already. I'll say a little bit more. I have uh, a sutta called good you know good hearted friends advice for lay people that comes from the teaching of the buddha to share i want to highlight the importance of understanding that spiritual friendship is actually a training it is something we train in it's not haphazard and and then there's this important part of suffering that is part of spiritual friendship and which is, you know, in all of us, we're conditioned, right? This is what the Dharma taught, you know, Buddha taught us. We get conditioned by life. Automatic pilot takes over and we're no longer present. Well, this is really true in relationships, as you know, right? (laughs) As you know. So understanding that deeply is incredibly 
important to to knowing and being able to be a spiritual friend. And then, um, maybe I'll say this now, but um, another part of my inspiration for this topic tonight is that starting in October, on Thursday nights, I'll start a two-month series on mindful, mindful speaking and mindful listening. It's an incredibly, incredibly important part of our life, being spiritual friends to each other. And um, I have a, a practice. Um, some of you may be aware of the raft practice. Anybody know about raft? Not many, a couple. So I'll talk a little bit about how to use raft in the context of relationship, spiritual friendship. So I have a, a, a I have a poem to read to you and. Um, maybe before I read it, um, I'll just ask you to think about, bring to mind a spiritual friend, somebody who's been a spiritual friend to you. And it could be somebody you know or just somebody you know of who's done things that have inspired you. And what are their qualities? What kind of qualities do these friends, spiritual friends have. And anyone who is willing to speak, if you share out loud any of those qualities, I'll say them and repeat them to make sure people in YouTube who are joining us can hear. Is anybody willing to share what qualities came up for them? Yes. Presence. Presence. Brave. Brave. And non judgmental. Thank you. Loving. Loving. Kind. Kind. Again? Available. Available. Nice. Curious. Trust. What makes someone trustworthy? You can share. And it's confidential, right? And you know maybe that they've got your back. Thank you. Yeah, put it up here is great, so I don't forget it. Got to put it back on the bulletin board. Consistent. Consistent. Beautiful. Insightful. Insightful. Mm. Perceptive. Perceptive. Oh, receptive. Yes, beautiful. Honest. Honest. Oh, truth. Yes. Accepting and caring. Accepting and caring. Good listener. Mm-hmm. Really important. I was listening to a talk um, by James Barraz on spiritual friendship, and he, so this is like third hand, right? And he was talking about somebody who teaches nonviolent communication a lot, and that he said that that person said that 
when it comes to nonviolent communication, it was the listening that mattered the most. Yeah. So um, there's more, right? It's okay. This was good. <laughs> and so here's this poem. And the title of the poem is Aftermath. I'll say more at the end of the poem. Those seeds you planted in me with your words, all through the night they rooted, grew stems, sprouted leaves. By morning, I'm in full bloom. My thoughts, a rebellion of petals, a mutiny of beauty, where once only shadows spread, all day your words unfold in layers of purple and unruly gold. I like it when people stare everywhere I go. I share this, the aftermath of your kindness. Right? This is, these are the seeds, these are the gifts, the qualities that have been given by our spiritual friends. And when they take hold, it bloom in us. Wow, what an aftermath. This is by Rosemary Traumer. So what did the Buddha say about spiritual friendship? He actually said, you know, some pretty poignant things. In the one sutta, he says, with regard to external factors, so things in the environment, outside of ourselves, I don't envision any other single factor like admirable friendship as doing so much for a monk in training. No other not any other factor like admirable friendship can do so much for a monk in training. That's pretty significant. I'm sure you've heard the... the I, I, I chose not to bring this sutta into because it's so well referenced, but you know, there's this conversation between Ananda. Do you know who Ananda is? The cousin and the attendant to the Buddha. And, and there's this conversation where the Buddha and Ananda are sitting together and Ananda's probably, you know, feeling really uplifted by spiritual friendship. And they're sitting there and he's t- talking and Ananda says, Noble one, oh Lord, you know, friendship is half of the spiritual path. And the Buddha responds by saying, No, Ananda, don't say that. It's all of the path. It's very, very pivotal. Really, 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 really powerful. There's um, a, a Pali word for spiritual friendship, and it's Kalyana Mita. I like this word. KM for short. Kalyana Mita. You're my Kalyana Mita, my KM. Kalyana can be translated as spiritual, can also be translated as good, true, virtuous, upright, or beneficial. And mita is the same root uh, as metta, loving kindness. Loving kindness. Good friend, spiritual friend, virtuous friend. Yeah. In another sutta, Diga Nikaya 31, the Buddha 
gave a teaching about good-hearted friends, and it's advice for lay people. That's us, right? We're lay people. And he's talking to um, a young man, and he said, be aware of these four good-hearted friends. And he describes, describes them as a helper, one who endures, one who's a mentor, and one who's compassionate. So I'm going to talk a little bit about each of these four qualities. And the Buddha said, the helpful friend can be seen to be loyal, a loyal friend in four ways. He looks after you when you're inattentive. Right? Looks after you when you're inattentive. He looks after you when your possessions are inattentive. You're unattended. He is a refuge when you're afraid. That's profound. That just hit me. You know, a refuge when you're afraid. Right? How? You know, it's not everybody who can hold us with their presence or listen when we're afraid. Not everybody can do that. It's a really big thing to be stable enough to be with somebody when they're afraid. To see them with their potential still intact. Right? And... Um, And then the last thing he says is when some business is to be done, he lets you have twice what you ask for. Twice. So this generosity, right? This generosity. There's, um, this is an example from Thich Nhat Hanh's Sangha of this idea of being helpful and twice what one is asking for. They created something called second body sangha. Second body sangha. We established a second body practice to deepen our relationships and to support our practice. Each participant has two bodies. A sangha member they care for and their own body. The care was determined by mutual consent and might entail a weekly phone call or a daily sitting practice. Pretty cool. I read, you know, there's an article and I think it's Lion's Roar. Somebody wrote about it who was there and described, you know, waking up or being sick and, you know, having food show up for him because his second body brought him food and I just really appreciated this idea, this notion, the way it was framed, right? Second body. Just your, your second body, like somebody who's there just to do these things. And there's something about that, too, that's like, you know, you, you don't get any gold star for being a good friend, a second body. You're just acting like you would for your own body, Right? You you have this care for another like you care for yourself. It's just beautiful. The second quality um, is described as an enduring friend, the friend who is the same in happy and unhappy times. Can be seen as a loyal friend in four ways. He tells you his secrets. She guards your secrets. They do not let you down in misfortune. 
they would even sacrifice their life for you. So what is this, what is enduring through good and bad times friendship look like? What does that mean? You know, here at IMC, it might be, you know, somebody hasn't been coming for a long time and we welcome the back no matter what, right? It might mean, you know, being willing to listen to somebody's fears or difficulties or joys over and over again or in really great detail. (laughs) The third quality is the friend who points out what is good for you. It's also described as a mentoring friendship. The friend who points out what is good for you can be seen to be a loyal friend in four ways. They keep you from wrongdoing. They support you in doing good. They inform you of what you did not know. And they point out the path to freedom. In our, in our scene here, we have kind of formal and informal mentors. A formal mentor might be a teacher, right? Somebody who's in a a role as a teacher. An informal mentor might be the way somebody is sitting during meditation that inspires you. The way somebody behaves and demonstrates these qualities of loving kindness and, you know, compassion and sympathetic joy. And, you know, even um, Gil likes to prefer, he prefers being thought of as a spiritual friend over a teacher. There's something really, you know, connected about that, isn't there? Really connected. That's the word that comes to mind for me. I think I'll say here too just that, you know, this is certainly how he came to be my teacher. Was I started, you know, volunteering. I showed up, I supported him. He supported me in all kinds of ways. Like, he did a lovely job with the bell. I remember the first time I managed an event and I hit the bell at the end of the sit, everybody jumped out of their seats. It was so loud. Oh, my God. And, you know, he was so kind to me after this. He was just so kind. Like, taught me, brought me over, helped me learn how to hit the bell and just said, there's no mistakes here. There's no mistakes here. Wow. Thich Nhat Hanh says, what is most important is to find peace and to share it with others. Right? This is a spiritual friend. This is what Gil did for me. He has found peace and he shared it with me in that moment and many others. 
So spiritual friendship is a training. It is actually something, it is like practice. It is, it is practice. It is the embodiment of our practice. It's bringing our practice, not just from this inner realm, but to everything that we do. And, you know, um, incredibly important part of our, our training in the Eightfold Path, right, which is said to be the way to freedom, in the middle of that is sila, or ethical or virtuous action. And it includes uh, wise action, wise speech, wise livelihood. And wise action is the abstaining of killing living beings, right? Abstaining from taking what is not given, abstaining from false speech, abstaining from um, harmful sexuality, and abstaining from intoxicants that cloud the mind and cause heedlessness. So by engaging in these five wise actions, we, you know, we're, we're abandoning a lot of greed and a lot of hatred, and hopefully a lot of delusion too. So this is a really important part of, of how we train. These are things that we don't just do, you know, when we're, you know, casually. They're things that we do thoughtfully, mindfully. There are these four Brahma-viharas, which are um, kind of essentially expressions of love, Spiritual love. And um, they're really healthy emotional, mental states that really support us. And they arise without craving, aversion, and ego. If we have too much craving, aversion, and ego, they don't really arise up. And they're helpful emotions that are much more likely to arise when we're not preoccupied, you know, and when we're not kind of caught in craving and aversion. So this is core to our practice, right? It's kind of like we can notice if we're in a crowd, oh, is there is there kind, kindness present? Is there... Am I able, am I happy or envious with somebody else's joy? Right? If we're envious, we've got craving or aversion happening. So it's a, a, you know, this beautiful mirror for us to find ourselves, to find the qualities that are active in our heart and mind at any one time. How we respond to each other is a, a, a reflection for us of what's happening within ourselves. It helps us find and notice and recognize. And, um, you know, the way Gill put this, this is his sentence, contrary to the popular idea of falling in love is a mysterious process out of our control, the Buddha emphasized cultivating our capacity for love. Cultivating our capacity. So it's not something that just, you know, is this biochemical rush. 
It's something that we, we grow, we train. And it's these kinds of love is sep- different than sensual desire. It's different than affection that's entangled with attachment and the need for reciprocity. So sometimes, you know, when we hear the teachings of letting go and not clinging, people feel like, well, but I'm attached to my family and my partner, and does that mean I'm not supposed to be? No, 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 no. What we need to abandon is the craving, not the love. The clinging, not the love. It's the whole grabbing onto, the expectations, the wanting something back, wanting somebody to be different, you know, wanting to control what people do. That is what we need to let go of, not the love. Not the love. So with loving kindness, um, it's... uh, this wish for everyone to be happy, and that's happy in their own way. Not my way. <laughs> it's respect, showing respect, right, to the dignity and uniqueness of each person, and, you know, to freedom. I like to say, um, let you be you and me be me. Right? Creating the conditions for us each to flower fully the way we are, for who we are, into what we, what we, like, our heart most wants us to become. Uh, Christina Feldman wrote, In the cultivation of metta, friendship is turned into a verb. Learning what it is to actively, intentionally, and consciously befriend all people, including ourselves, all events, and all experience. The second Brahma Vihara, which, you know, this first one, loving kindness, is really foundational. It helps us kind of get things going. So it's, a, it's really the starting place for most of us with the Brahma Viharas. And from it, we start to grow you know, the capacity to have compassion. Which, I love the Ayakema's teaching, which is, you suffer just like me, and just like me, you know, just like you, I suffer. So it's, yeah, you you suffer too, just like me, and I suffer just like you, you know. There's like, we all suffer, right? So having the capacity to attune to suffering and see it as this thing that we all share in common and to have compassion for that and and then the wish to be a support for the end of that suffering. And how we help or don't help with the suffering is really important to attend to and this is where we come back to this idea of kindfulness, bringing in the mind there's this um, a book, I was trying to think of the name of it, um, The Happiness Hypothesis, maybe. Um, and there's a metaphor in the book about an elephant and a writer. Anybody know this book? No? Yeah? Is it Happiness Hypothesis? Is that the name of it? Jonathan Haid. Jo- yeah. Jonathan Haid. And um, so he talks about the elephant as, you know, like our body is the biggest part of us 
And and the biggest part of us is also so much is unconscious or semi-conscious. You know, this is the beauty of how our mind is is evolved, and it's also um, potentially the liability of how our mind has evolved because it's like. Um, there's so much that we need just to you know operate on an automatic level for functioning in this world. There's just way too many things that if we had to pay attention to them in detail that there's no way we'd have awareness left for anything else. It's like and when I was in high school I volunteered in the um special needs classroom and the assignment for me was to sit down and write how many steps it takes to tie a shoe. I was shocked. Was I think it was thirty something? I was absolutely shocked. I was floored. And so, if you think about like that's just one teeny tiny task, and there's so many of these things, and this is where there's this brilliance of this elephant that just knows how to learn how to do these things, right? And can do them so that we can be a writer, we can stay aware. But we also have to grow our awareness. We have to kind of keep growing it, especially as things become more and more um, routine, familiar to us. Because we go to sleep as the writer. We go to sleep if we don't work on staying present, and that's mindfulness, staying awake and aware. And all the things in our life, (laughs) all the things in our life that happen to us, you know, we get born into a body, into a family, into a community, culture, society, and we're, our conditioning starts before we're born. The tone of our parents' voices, whether or not we're kept or adopted, you know, who ends up being there to raise us, how we're treated by the people around us, what our third grade teacher tells us about our drawings. All of these things go deeply stored into this elephant and they inform how we experience. And like we, ha- I like to think about you know, in the amygdala, this is sort of like the storehouse of memory, and there's something I, I like to think about as like the librarian. And so something is happening, and the librarian, without our telling us, without our telling us to do it, goes and searches all the memories, <laughs> says, what's like this? Oh, this is like this, and this is like this. And it just, it chooses, and it says, okay, here you go. This is what's happening, right? And and so we just, we're, our, our present moment is informed by our pasts. And most of that was not anything you chose to put in there. A lot of it you probably really wish wasn't there. And a lot of it you don't even know is there. It's like the water you're sp- swimming in. Gil talked last week about the training in deep diversity that we did as a, um, you know, sangha. There's a book called um, uh, Deep Diversity written by Shaquille Chaudhry. And he's a mindfulness practitioner and he wrote about um, bias and racism and um, oppression and, you know, how can we bring our practice to this world and get free from, for me, how do I get free from what I have internalized and didn't want around my gender, about my sexual identity, about my race? As a white person, how do I get free from that conditioning that I have? How do I free you from the conditioning I have about your gender, your identity, your race, whoever you are? How do I free you and how do I free myself? This is 
incredibly important work. And in the Sangha, these, these conditions, these, this bias, these experiences that we have, they're going to all bubble up. They're going to all bubble up in various ways. So it's incredibly important to be humble and to be listening and to be noticing and remembering that when things come up for you and you're looking out at somebody else and you're thinking it, that comes from your story. That comes from your story. And, you know, as a, a white person, there's so much conditioning around, like, thinking my, my experience is the norm. Like, like that's how it is. <laughs> and so it's really easy to look out into the world and see others as different. I have a practice of, when I see that happening... Wait, 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 look at me. (laughs) How am I different? I'm different. What's happening for me? What's my reference point here? Not about you, me. What's me? What's going on in here that's me? To help me let go a little bit of that so I can more clearly see you. And Thich Nhat Hanh has this phrase, when he's talking about being a spiritual friend and, and meeting someone with compassion, he says, it's important to ask if we understand the other person, not to assume we do. So he says, sweetheart, do I know you well enough? Do I, and you're asking, do I know you well enough to assume that I can be, respond to you in a way that's truly compassionate? Because if I'm responding to you from my story, my conditioning, my past, my bias, I might just do more harm. So compassion is tricky because we have this elephant, the heart gets moved, and the heart elephant wants to rescue and take care of people. And it's so powerful unless the writer is really present, really awake and aware. The elephant can, like the bull in the china shop, right? Can really trample over people. And that emotional conditioning, there's... um. Emotions, I feel like, are like a drive system. They're motivating action. If you think about it, you know, if you look at, if you've seen those little um, emojis with faces, right? We use them on our phones and charts. Just a facial expression tells you so much about, you know, what, what somebody is feeling, right? And you can imagine, what is the posture of somebody who's sad, Right? There's this whole intense biophysiological thing that comes with a feeling. So there's, a, there's this, you know, we're not even aware sometimes how we're feeling and we're expressing it, whether it's anger, sadness, joy. So this is the elephant energy, this automatic, natural, beautiful intelligence in the, in the system that gets polluted over time. <laughs> you know, but um, it needs to be managed. We need to be aware so that it doesn't just drive our behaviors. So another, the third Brahma-vihara is mudita, which is, you know, sympathetic joy or joy. It's like shared joy. It's like um, when somebody tells you something, like yesterday I had a friend text me and said, I'm really great today, and I felt so happy. I really was like, yay, that's so great, right? That's so great. 
And I think, you know, joy, there's a lot, like if you follow neuroscience, if you listen to Rick Hansen or a lot of other people that are teaching about happiness right now and making our brains feel better, you know, we have this tendency to not appreciate and settle and receive the joy that comes up in our life, even for ourselves, the small little joys. Like this morning, I took a picture of the sky of a friend who we send photos each morning if we get outside for early morning light because it's supposed to be very helpful for sleep, right, to get exposure to the early morning sunlight within half an hour of waking up. So it said... I believe it, but so we'll take pictures when we go out, when we actually make it. So this morning I took this picture of the sky and it was like confetti, like clouds. She said she, when she first looked at it, it looked like stars in the skies. You know, it was just this beautiful moment, just taking this picture, taking, doing this practice, going out, taking this picture, sending it was like, wow, this is, this helps me connect with the joy. Take it in. Don't miss it. Right? And this, when we don't miss the joy, the little joys in our, our life, there's a lot more ease and ability to connect with the joy of others. When we're really disconnected from the joy in our life, we're going to miss the joy in others. We're going to feel envious, resentful, hurt, left out. So it's really a practice, really important practice for us to take it seriously, to sip, to take sips of the goodness, to take it all in. Yeah. What time are we ending? What time are we supposed to end? At what time? 10.45. 10.45, three minutes ago. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I have more to say, but hopefully I'll see you again. And like I said, I'll be starting the mindful, mindful listening and speaking and... Thursday nights at 6.30 to 9, 6.30 to 8, sorry, here, in person only. And um, I just, you know, thank you. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate your attention and yeah, just everything. Yeah, thank you.